0: Starting with verse 13, you guys should have this, if you've been here for very long, you have this memorized by now. Therefore put on the full armor of God, as we're talking about the armor, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness firmly in place. Stand firm with your feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Let's pray. Lord, just take control here for this next half hour, God. I pray, Lord, you'd be glorified. I pray, Lord, God, the word would go forth with power. I pray, Lord, God, it'd be your word and not my word, and your thoughts and not my thoughts. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and a mind to understand. Lord, that we could go out of this place more people of your word than we were before when we came into this place. And that we could carry the sword and be confident in the sword and wield the sword according to your will. But you've got to do it, Lord. I just relinquish the responsibility for you to do the kingdom work. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Probably most of you saw the movie, or I should ask, how many of you saw the movie um, The Princess Bride? Yes, it's a good one. It's um, a lot better than the last movie I asked about. Uh, what was it, uh, that uh, gory one? But The Princess Bride. And there is a real famous sword fighting scene. Remember, he, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Indigo? Or Anigo? Anigo Mantoya. My name is Inigo Mantoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. He's, he's always going on asking people that, and finally the guy says, "Why do you keep saying that?" But then this real famous fight scene where Inigo Montoya is, is uh, fighting the beloved, uh, not Buttercup, but his boyfriend's uh, um, Wesley. Wesley is Wesley and Buttercup and, and, and the giant. Well, he's fighting Wesley and you know on top of that cliff, and they're going back and forth, and they trade hands, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and they're talking politely as they're trying to kill one another, and finally. Wesley, being the superior sword fighter, is able to swing the sword out of his hand. Or how he, he does, does this little flip thing and gets it out of his hand. And here's the whole point of this analogy there's two ways you can win a sword fight. And when Paul's thinking about warfare, he's thinking about a sword fight. Because in the first century, he didn't have cannons and guns and nuclear missiles, they had swords. So you win the battle, and here you're getting arm to arm, hand to hand, face to face combat. You use a sword. Two ways you can win in a sword fight. You can either kill the other person. You can outsource them and stick them in the heart or cut off their head, cut off their arms, then cut off their legs. And hopefully you've won by that point. Or they'll try to bump up against you and say, it's a mere flesh wound. I'll spit on you. All right. Lord, help me come up with better analogies here. But... um, That's one way you can win, or you can do what Wesley did, and you can flick the sword out of their hand, and then you can take them captive, and you've got a slave for life. The enemy knows, in this sword fight, and this is just the way we think about it. One of the reasons I like to preach with the Bible is because it's a sword. It's like I feel like I can like, I'm a sword fighter up here, so it's kind of protection and and warfare stuff up here, but. The enemy knows that he cannot outswordsmen us in that he cannot separate us from the love of God. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Bible says no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. So the enemy knows he cannot, in a spiritual sense, pierce our heart. He cannot kill us. Our soul is protected by God. Amen? And so the enemy knows he cannot do the coup de grace and, and slice apart our salvation. So if he's going to win, the only thing he can do is to take the sword out of our hand. Because if we've got the sword, there's nothing he can do to get to us. And so his strategy is to do what Wesley did and to flick the sword, which the Bible, which the Bible says is the word of God, to flick it out of our hands. Now there's two ways that, that he can do that. On the one hand, the enemy, in trying to flick the Bible out of our hands, can try to undermine the credibility of the Bible. This is the major tactic he uses in the unbelieving world. Try to undermine the credibility of the Bible as the Word of God. Try to get people to believe that it's just like any other book. It's no different, it's maybe inspiring, maybe it's beautiful, maybe it's got great literary qualities, but it's not the Word of God. It is on the same level as the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and the Quran and maybe Homer and and, and whatnot. It's a good book, perhaps, at least it's got some good parts to it, but it's not the Word of God. And if the enemy can succeed in convincing people of that, then they're no longer going no to be inclined to use it as a sword. Or if you can just get people to believe that at least in important respects their own thinking is smarter than the Bible. Well, of course the Bible says that, but you know, I'm a 20th century person so we know a lot more about this than they did back then and therefore my opinion counts more than the Bible. We are so smart, we are just so morally elite that we are able to pass judgment on the Bible, and where it agrees with us, we say, that's fine, I accept that as the Word of God. But where it doesn't agree with us, we dismiss it. Well, that is undermining the credibility of the Bible. It no longer functions as the Word of God. Just so you know, we're right now living in a time, it is really unprecedented, where the average person on the streets is now being barraged through the media, and through a lot of different means, with all of the latest liberal scholarship that has as its focal point, the goal of undermining the Bible as God's word. Some of you just read several weeks ago in Newsweek, or in newest News News and World Report, or in Time Magazine, the report on all this liberal scholarship, how Jesus was just a sinning philosopher, and how only 2% of what uh, the Bible says Jesus said did he actually say, the rest of it was just made up by disciples and put into his mouth, and If you didn't read that one, you could have read it six months before that, and if you didn't read that, you could have read it six months before that. And what we've had in the last decade is a constant barrage of media assault on the person of Jesus Christ. And that is no accident. I talk about this in in, in my book, uh, uh, what's it called, Uh, Jesus Under Siege, and Sinning Sage or Son of God, where I'm just talking about how The fact that there are some liberal New Testament scholars out there that are saying outlandish things about Jesus. He was a magician, a homosexual magician, some argue, and whatever. That's not new. But what's new is that it's being reported on, and they're writing books that are targeted for the average person on the street. That's new. I don't think there's ever been a time in history where the radical ideas of these left-wing scholars has ever gotten off such a public audience before, but they're the ones that are trying to do that. They say that. They say we are out to educate, quote-unquote, educate the American public about the real Jesus. And they mean by the real Jesus, not the Jesus that the Bible talks about. They mean the Jesus of their own theories. You just have to know this. And I'm just going to, I could preach on this, and I don't have time for it, but I spent a good part of my adult life just listening to what these people say about the Bible in terms of why they think it cannot be the Word of God, why they think it's fallible, why they think it's full of mistakes, why they think their own theories are, are, are superior to it or whatnot, and I'm just here to tell you that, that uh, unless you start with the assumption that the Bible can't be the Word of God, you're never going to come to that conclusion based on the evidence, because the evidence, folks, is just not, 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 not in that direction. Anyone who has, I'll go on record as saying this, anyone with an open mind who studies both sides of the issue, who doesn't have a foregone conclusion in their heart and doesn't have some ulterior motive for investigating the thing will come to the conclusion that, in fact, this is not just an ordinary book. It stands in a different class all by itself. It is the Word of God. It's got supernatural elements to it that can be accounted for in no other way. But the enemy tries to discredit that, to undermine it. Even in the church... To think, well, that part's not the Word of God. This part is. The part you like, well, that happens to be the Word of God. The part you don't like, well, that's just archaic first century stuff. Which means the Bible's really not the Word of God. You're the Word of God, and you tell the Bible when and where it can speak. A second way. See, when that happens, the, the enemy just goes, and you lost your word. You don't have a sword. It turned into butter. Because the minute you've got to use it on something that's important, it falls apart. It's got no, no bite to it. Second way the enemy tries to take the sword out of our hand is just by asking us politely, will you please not use that on me? Could could, could you put, someone could get hurt with that thing. Put it down. I'm harmless anyways. You don't really need that. You you can fight me with your fists. You can kick me. You can spit at me, and that will make me run. You don't need that sword. And so what we do is we just sort of say, you know, I have such a busy schedule. I'm just going to leave that over there. We never get around to reading the thing. Of course, if someone asks us, do you believe in the Bible? We go, oh, yes! Only ungodly people don't believe the Bible. But if someone says, do you read it? All of a sudden it's kind of like, well, uh, just a couple months ago I just looked at it. Do you know that over 90% of the people in America own a Bible? Less than 10% have read it in the last month. Less than 4% have read it in the last week. We've got so many resources available to us, but the trouble is is that We are in a mode where we just don't make it a part of our our life. We don't carry the sword around with us that much. I'm speaking of the church as a whole. And if I want to accomplish anything here in the next 15 minutes, it is to give us a passion to begin to make the Bible, the Word of God, more a part of our life. Because, folks, it's the only word that we've got. I heard one scholar argue, and he based it on some good evidence, that the average believer, the average professing believer today, in America at least, is less literate about what's in the Bible than people in the Middle Ages were. What's scary is that people in the Middle Ages couldn't read, (laughs) or less than 1% of the population. But they would hear a sermon, they had stained glass windows, they looked at it, they talked about it. At night, their form of entertainment was sitting around the fire telling Bible stories with one another. They were very biblically literate. They didn't have Northwestern bookstores. Think about it. They didn't have concordances. They didn't have uh, Bible video games. They didn't have a Bible computer things that can, you can put in a word and it will search every way that that word occurs. We have so many resources available to us, and yet we just don't use it. It's sort of there. It's like this incredible arsenal of military power sitting there, and we just never use it. This thing about Bible literacy, this isn't indicative of, of Bethel College as a whole, but I've got to tell you this story. I was down... Uh, in the exercise room uh, not too long ago, getting a drink of water here, and I was hearing some students who were very worried about their intro to Bible class. They were debating with one another about the correct answer to a question. They're going back and forth about this, and this is maybe indicative about our level of biblical literacy. They were honestly fighting with one another about the order of the passion narrative, and one was arguing that the Last Supper came after the resurrection. The other one was arguing that it came before the resurrection. I think, you know... These are church kids here. It's, it's a little bit scary. The Bible is... Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you are thinking, well, that, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the correct answer? The, the order goes, Last Supper, Crucifixion, then Resurrection. Actually, one of them was wondering about the Crucifixion, where that fit into this whole thing. Did Jesus rise before he was crucified or after? <clears throat> okay. What I want to do here is just to take a look at what the Bible is, what the Word of God is, okay? And I think if we get a gr- gr- grasp on this, you're going to see that this is a very, very, very important thing to carry around, not, not necessarily physically, but to carry around in your mind and to carry around in your heart, because we're talking about something that is posit- positively incredible. Bible readers! Do I have some Bible readers? Come on. Okay, what better way to preach about the Word of God than to just read a lot of the Word of God? So we're going to do about a 10-minute teaching barrage thing here. I'm just going to have them read verses, and, and uh, if I feel inspired, I'll, I'll give a couple comments about the verses. Okay, um, this is about what is the Word of God. What are we dealing with when we're talking about the Word of God? Now, just listen to this stuff. It really is power-packed. Okay, the first verse, Genesis 1.
1: Genesis 1, 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light.
0: Oh, man. And now I'm feeling inspired. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Get this point. Make it a part of your mind. The word of God, the word of God, creates reality. God, when God says it, it is done. It creates reality. As we say in theological circles, it is ontologically productive. <laughs> it creates reality. Okay, next verse. Psalm 33, 6.
1: <clears throat> By the word of the Lord were the heavens made,
0: their starry host by the breath of his mouth. How are they made, Wes? By the breath of his mouth, Greg. What came first, the crucifixion and the resurrection? I don't know, but uh, if you turn the headlights on. Uh, uh, you stare. Okay, okay. yeah. I, I never get into conversation with him on stage, it's dangerous. <laughs> By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Okay, when God says, when his vocal cords vibrate, as it were, he doesn't have physical vocal cords, but when God speaks, reality comes into existence. Now, you've got to know that. Now, It doesn't mean that in the beginning there was a Bible and God created the world with the Bible, okay? But the Bible is called God's Word. The same same word is used with regard to the Bible as is used with regard to the Word that God uses to bring existence into being. And it's like when the words of the Bible reflect the words of God, and they do reflect that, then we've got the Word of God, the creative force of all eternity, on loan from God. The power resides there. The same Word that created the, the, the heavens is now given to us to live our lives with. What's the next verse?
1: Hebrews one <clears> three. <throat> Hebrews,
0: Hebrews.
1: The sun is the radiance of the universe. Where am I? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven.
0: Okay, this is a good one. Christ, the Son of God, sustains all things. How? By his word. By the power of his word. It's just, why does the Bible keep on talking like that? There must be something to it. Okay? It's by the word of God that, the, that reality is sustained. It's like this. Ask the question, what holds being into existence? Let's get really philosophical here. What holds? What holds me in existence? I don't hold myself into existence. I've got existence on loan. What holds things together? Physicists are trying to find the one universal law of physics that will combine in a simple form the the four basic laws that we have now. They're looking for the uniting principle of all reality. And I don't know whether they're going to find it or not, but I know this. That scripture says that behind even that law, if such a law exists, is the word of God. God, by his vocal cords, holds me into existence every second of my life. It's like breathing out, it's like breathing uh, 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 vapor, not vapor, but, you know, when it looks like smoke on a cold day, what's that called? Exhaust? No. What's it called? What condensation? Oh, we got a physicist in the crowd here. Uh, it's called uh, moisture condensation. Okay, well, they, that, that, that white stuff that comes out of your mouth on a cold day, it's there as long as you're breathing. When you talk, all of a sudden there's, there's this white stuff, condensation. I can't think of the word. What? It's that vapor. Vapor's vapor is when it's hot. Who cares? You get the point. God holds us into existence like that. As long as God is speaking Greg Boyd, Greg Boyd's here. If God were ever to shut up, I'd disappear. Because all things are sustained. Every molecule is sustained. The heavens are sustained by the same voice that created them. God said, let there be light, there's light. And as long as God keeps saying, light, as long as God's word keeps going forth, it's there. We're talking about a powerful, powerful, powerful thing here. The most powerful thing in the universe is the word of God. It creates reality. It sustains reality. What's the next verse? Psalm one forty-seven, fifteen through 17.
1: He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? No one. He sends His word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes, and the waters
0: flow. OK, you, you, you find three times there the Word of God talked about the word of God does some, The word of God goes forth and something happens. And the whole purpose of this uh, psalm is to say this: it is God's word creates the world. it holds things into existence, and it guides the world. The moving force of history is the Word of God, God's voice. It goes forth, and it melts the hail, even the melting of the hail is the result of God's word. And Solomon says here that the word of God is found in the law. The same force that moves nature, that creates nature, that sustains nature, is the force that's found in the law. What they had as the Bible back then was the Old Testament. That is the word of God. It's in nature, and now it's in our hands, through the word of the apostles and the prophets that is given to us. Okay, it's also the word that saves us. Next verse.
1: 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this
0: one. This is really good.
1: For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ.
0: Okay, I hope you got all that. Praise God. Here's what he's saying. The same voice that said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. Because whatever God says happens... Said in the life of Greg Boyd, Let there be light, and there was light, and that's why I'm a believer. God speaks the word and it creates a reality. And so, Paul, to describe how we are saved, as opposed to uh, the, those who are blinded, um, he talks about those the, the two verses earlier, as opposed to those who are blinded, God says to us, Let there be light, and there is light, because God's word is productive. Now, he speaks the light. Now, you've got to get this. He speaks the light into the darkness of my heart, which, which Paul likens to the old self. Whereas in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was reality because there was nothing to oppose God. Here, God speaks, let there be light, but there is something to oppose it. My old self, my old way of thinking, my old way of being. It's like God says, let there be a butterfly, and there's a butterfly, but unfortunately, this butterfly is wrapped up in, into a, in a cocoon of its own making. There's something that resists the Word of God here. The reality is there. You got that? Whatever God says is, the reality is there. The light is there. The joy is there. The power is there. But now there's a darkness that resists that light, and it's my own mind. It's my own being. Here's the point of the whole thing. Growth comes in my life, not when I try real, real, real hard to, to, to get out of my own cocoon. Growth comes When I let the Word of God that creates that reality take over the old self, take over my old way of thinking, take over my old way of behaving, take over my old way of feeling, let the reality that the Word of God, praise God, let the reality that the Word of God creates there be manifested there. And when my thinking lines up with God's thinking and when my words line up with God's Word, the reality that the Word of God creates is manifested forth and there's no longer a cocoon I'm a butterfly that's flying around. You got that? Amen. That's the point. What creates salvation is the very same thing that creates the world, that sustains the world, that moves the world, and now it creates regeneration in my heart. It's the Word of God. James 118. James 118. He chose to give us birth through the Word of Truth,
1: that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created.
0: How are we born? We're born by the Word of Truth. The Word of Truth is what births us. There's nothing... If we're going to see people saved, there's one thing that will do it, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God, it just it goes forth, and it does its job. I never thought of this as a part of my testimony, but it occurred to me as I was studying for this, for this message. I, I remembered this. Before I became a believer, a couple months before I became a believer, I started, for some odd reason, reading the Bible. Um, I, we had this whole family Bible, and I took it upstairs, and I, I would hide it under my pillow so that no one would know that I was doing this. And, and before I'd go to sleep at night, I'd take it out, and i just start reading it. Um, and, I, and I didn't understand it I, you know, I remember I, I read Matthew and then I read Luke and I thought I was repeating myself because a lot of it was I said I remember reading this before and I didn't understand anything about it but I wanted to read it I would read the, the I Ching and the Bhagavad Gita but I would never read the Bible even though I was, was raised in, a, in a, a private school but um, I started reading the Bible and now that I think about it it was no coincidence that a little later on I got invited to go to a church and when I went to the church I was ripe for the picking. I, I wanted to get saved so bad because the Word of God was doing its thing. The Word of God, the Bible says, is what gives us birth. It says, let there be light. It creates the reality that it speaks of. Next verse. 1 hmm. Thessalonians 2.13. Are you giving me grief, man? And we also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a Word of men. Uh, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Read that last phrase again. Which is at work in you who believe. Which is at work in you who believe. Here's the thing. Paul says the reason why I'm writing to you is because you're believers. Why do you believe? Because when we preach the Word of God to you, you didn't consider it as the Word of man. You considered it as the Word of God. And that's why the Word is at work in you. He uses a present verb here. This is a wild thing. The Bible is not a book that's just supposed to sit up on the shelf when you read it and you close it, it, it it's not done doing its job. It continues, to bear, it continues to bear fruit. So Paul says, it's at work in you who believe. Now, if you treat it like a normal book, if you treat it like a, just a man-made book or whatever, it doesn't do diddly squat. Oh, keep on spitting. The guy I knew, who I, I've known who knew the Bible the best was this atheist. He knew the Bible so good, he was a university professor of mine, but it didn't do anything in his life because there was no faith that accompanied it. But when you go to it with faith and read it with faith and digest it with faith and put it in your mind and think it and walk with it, it begins to bear a whole lot of fruit. It works in you. The word of God is being brought forth right now. When you leave here, it's going to keep on doing this work. It's going to keep on bearing fruit. That's why it's so important to be exposed to the Word of God. Amen, next verse.:
1: First John, 2:14. "I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one.
0: The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Why have you overcome the the evil one? Because the word of God lives in you. God's will for our life, folks, is to take this book and if we could, eat it. You know, living in us. Just to be walking around with the Bible inside of us. The word that is there carrying our sword is supposed to live in us. Not just sit in us. Like Amelia just ate. oh, what? It lives in us. It lives, and it is the principle of character formation. It's the principle of, of, of transformation. It begins to bear out. Like God said, let there be light. It begins to bring light in our life, but only when it lives in us and dwells in us. Colossians 3, 16.
1: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom.
0: Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Dwell in you. To dwell means to take up residence, to reside. God's will for us is to have our minds and our hearts such that the word of God resides there. It's comfortable there. It's used to it. This isn't a stranger's home. It's there. It it, it sits there. Okay, Isaiah 55.
1: Okay, Isaiah 55, 10 through 12.
0: Listen to this. This is really a good one, folks.
1: As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, but making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Okay. Sorry? You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song Good. before you. Keep going. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands.
0: All right. Can God lie? Can God lie? No, the, God cannot lie. It's against his character. It's against it's a metaphysical impossibility. Here, God just said something, and either is telling the truth or he's lying, but since he can't lie, he's telling the truth. And what he says is this. The word of God is like the rain when it falls on the desert. It, it accomplishes all that it's supposed to accomplish. It doesn't return... Until it's done what it's supposed to do. That's what rain is for. It brings forth fruit. So also, the Word of God says, and God cannot lie, that the Word of God, when it goes forth, will accomplish all that God wills, praise God. This is why I do not worry about this congregation. I don't worry about it getting big. I don't worry about it getting small. I don't worry about who comes, and I don't worry about who goes. What I worry about is preaching the Word of God. Because I know that if we're preaching the word of God and if we're sticking to the word of God, I've got this guarantee, I've got this promise, God's character is on the line that whatever's supposed to be done is going to be done. That's his responsibility, not my responsibility. I leave it to God. Amen. (laughs) Just do what you're called to do and let God take care of the rest. The word of God goes forth. It's got this money-back guarantee on it that when we take it and we swallow it, what is true about you in Christ Jesus. It will, it will accomplish all that God desires. You have a handout that, that you got in the bulletin, and I'm not going to get a chance to get to it. This is going to be part one of a two-part series here on the Word of God. All right? um, but at the, end, at the bottom of that sheet, it's a spiritual warfare sheet, there is a list of verses about who you are in Christ Jesus. Who you are in Christ Jesus. These are things where God has gone on record as saying... That you are. A little sampling here. It's this white sheet with this cool thing here. Mary Cromer did that. Man, this is so great. All these verses say that, you guys. It's a good thing for you to have. On the other side, they have spiritual warfare verses. In the bottom, it says, In Christ, because of Calvary, I am. You're God's child. You're Christ's friend. You're justified. You're freed from condemnation. You're united with Christ. Etc. 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 Here's the thing, you guys. You can try all you want to talk yourself into that reality and it will never happen. You can try to do this gimmick or that gimmick or the other thing or go to that seminar or this seminar and thank God when he uses those things. But the one thing that's got a money-back guarantee is God's word. And if we take God's word, what is the truth about you in God's word, and you put it into your mind and you think it and you breathe it and you meditate on it and you walk with it, it begins to create the reality that God speaks. Are you following me with this thing? There are times where I have gone into a situation where I was, I told you about this at the Pentagon, where I was so nervous. I was like, Ugh, paralyzing. What am I gonna do? What am I why, why did I say yes to this gig? Ah. But I know that the Bible says here God and God cannot lie, that God has given to me not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And thank you, Lord, a sound mind. So I will take this word. Let there be light, and there is light. Let there be no fear, and there is no fear. And I will get my thinking to line up with God's thinking. And just watch how it creates the reality. Try it. It creates the reality that God says. You begin, you begin to walk with that. You start with faith, and you begin to see the butterfly come out of the coon. God's word goes forth, and it will not return to him void. It will accomplish all that he intends. It's a matter of just making the decision to let the Word of God be have a priority in your life. We still have, uh, you can order those tapes that, that uh, uh, a lot of you did this, and, and, and we got testimonies about how effective it was. Where you, you, you take the Word of God and put it on tape and you just listen to it in the car. Wonderful thing to do. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Just saturate your brain with it. We got so much garbage out there that's saturating our brains give the word of God a chance. And so it just saturate your brains with it. And then take verses like this, look them up, put them in your own words if you want, and begin to think them, begin to breathe them, begin to walk with them. In Christ I have peace that passes all understanding. And God has not given to me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And mothers, this morning, as, as your kids rail at you, your teenagers, about what a lousy mother you are and how, you know, they're not going to be the kind of mother you are when they get older. And and they rank on you and they accuse you and you start to cry and fall apart because you think it's true, realize this word from God, that there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I don't care what kind of mother you are. To them who are in the Lord. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray, God, that you just continue to grow us into kingdom people. I know the fertilizer you use, Lord, is the word of God. And so, Lord God, just uh, uh, as we go out of here, Lord, let this word continue to d- dwell and, and grow richly in us. I pray, God, that it would convict us to pick up the word, to get into it, to listen to it, and to put it in our mind. And, Lord, just keep on making us your kingdom people. we got a long way to go, Lord, but, man, you've brought us a long way. And we thank you for it. And, Lord God, give a special Sabbath day to the mothers here that so they might enjoy, Lord God, uh, this, this day in honor of